0: You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Again, Radiant Church. Hey, today we have a special guest with us. His name is Nate Meek. He is the worship leader for Radiant Church in Luggington, Michigan, and he has a powerful story of redemption and restoration, wholeness and healing through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You know, right now our surrounding culture is celebrating Pride Month. Well, how do we how do we respond to that? Well, here's how we respond. We need a message of both truth and grace. We need a message of compassion, yet conviction. And this is what I love about Nate's story, is that it encapsulates both of those things in his story. And I'm praying that it's going to minister to you and those who are watching online as well. So listen, would you help make some noise for my friend Nate Meek?
1: Well, it's an absolute honor to be here this morning. Um, I did not do this during last service. I'm going to blame it on nerves. But thank you, Pastor Marco, uh, and everyone here for having me here. Um, I just feel like we should give uh, Pastor Marco props. What an incredible leader, doing an amazing thing, and your family, too. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at what God is doing here. I'm amazed at the building campaign going on. You know, as a guest who has no context to what's going on whatsoever, I... I'm blown away at what God is doing, so I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, And I also wanted to uh, introduce, before I get started at all, because it's just so near and dear to me, um, one of the biggest supporters in my life, someone who I cannot imagine doing life without, um, and someone who literally got brought to my life as my most precious gift, aside from knowing Jesus, is my wife, Tiana Meek. Honey, I love you. Thank you for being here with me this morning. In her head, she's thinking, why did you have to go and say that? I don't need that attention right now. (laughs) Before we go any further, I would like to pray. Dear Jesus, this morning, I'm so grateful to be here. Hello, this is God. Uh, Lord, I'm so grateful to be here. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be here. But, Lord, whatever is of you, I'm asking that that's what would be heard. And anything that's just me or, you know, points that might bring up more questions than clarity, God, would you just let those things, would you speak into those areas of today? Would you let our hearts be open uh, to your message that you want to say? Your word says in John three nineteen and 21, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Again, that's John three nineteen through 21. Lord, that is my heart for today. I'm up here to step into the light, not so that I can be seen, but so that you can be seen. So let your word, let your message be what's heard. Everything that's of me. Just let it be totally washed away to the wayside. Let it be your truth today, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity up here. I love you. In your mighty name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, uh, I will just go starting right with my childhood. I want to tell you guys my story and kind of make a progression, Um, but I also want to give you permission before I share any part of my story that this uh, topic of going, how does someone who identifies and lives completely um, as gay, go from that to now uh, being where I am now, a worship leader at church, being married, uh, having four kids. How does that happen? What goes on with that? Um, There's some moments where you could almost feel a pin drop in the room. It's hard to know how to respond. But I want to encourage you guys, and it will help me personally, (laughs) if something's funny, it's okay to laugh. (laughs) Because we don't need to be caught up in the tension of something that God is on the throne and redeeming all the time. Stories like mine, there's more than just me. So, starting in childhood, um, I have a picture here. It's of me and my dad and my brother. My brother is the one in the blue, and I am older than him by two years, and for some reason sitting in a high chair at eight years old. Um, I don't know exactly why. The only thing I can think of why I was sitting there is because I believe it was my birthday and I felt special in a high chair at eight years old. So there it is. A little perspective into my growing up, but I wanted to introduce you to them. Uh, I love this picture so much, Uh, but I also have uh, two other siblings. I'm one of five and I was raised in a household uh, that uh, went to church and we spoke of God. But even though we went to church and we prayed at dinner, and, you know, we sang the songs, we did the stuff, in hindsight, I can see a lot of pain in my family, and I can see how they—I can not only see that they didn't always live according to the Word of God, but I can see in a lot of ways the reasons why they didn't. And so I have a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion for them, and I don't hold any unforgiveness against anybody whatsoever because— that's just a work that God did in my heart. And I've actually had a lot of conversations with different family members where the relationship is completely redeemed. So I want to say that before I go into too much because I will share about them personally. Like I said, I was raised in the church and I remember going to church every single Sunday. My grandma often was the driver of getting us there uh, when I, under the age of 10. And uh, every single Sunday when I went to church, I got saved again. How many of you grew up Baptist like I did? Yes, the chuckles, affirmation that you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, I love that. I remember walking through the woods and seeing like the sky and the trees and just everything and just looking up and going, God, I love you. I know that you're real. And I ask God forgiveness today for any sin that I have ever committed You know, if I looked at my brother wrong, like, I was just really conscious of the fact that, like, wanting to please God, you know? And so, uh, as a kid, that's kind of how I was. But around age three, my mom and my dad, uh, biological mom, biological dad, divorced. And it was at that time my mom was remarried, and so I had an encounter with someone else my own age, um, a sexual encounter, and it changed my life forever a door was opened. I remember after that encounter happened, um, we actually got on our knees and we asked God for forgiveness. The parents had left to go to the gas station, but we lived in the country, so it was like six country blocks away, which is like, you know, 10 miles. (laughs) And so they were gone for a while. And while they were gone, this thing happened. And we asked God for forgiveness after it was done because I just felt so strongly to ask God for forgiveness. And I remember feeling consciously and spiritually aware that I was forgiven. Consciously, because I knew the written word. I I was taught that when you ask God for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. But also that um, I felt the reality of God forgiving. But that door had been opened, and I didn't know how to manage it beyond just asking for forgiveness. And I didn't know how to talk about it either. And so that pain went unresolved for some time. From an early age, I remember a lot of the men in my life, they were all about trucks, and cars, and fixing things, and they were all carpenters, and all of them, you know, as we've all grown up in my family, my dad's one of eight, our immediate family has about 92 people in it, roughly that number, just my dad, and his siblings, and their kids, and their kids, so within that context, I'm the smallest guy, I'm the, and I'm, you know, all about music, and I want to go smell the flowers as a kid, you know, and be outside and be in nature, and they're all like in the garage and doing all that stuff, and so there was not a natural common interest, and because of that, you know, the, my family, I knew they loved me, but they, especially the guys, would make fun of me, and they would treat me like I was soft and fragile, and they would point that out, and they would kind of jab at the sensitivities in my life, and I knew they loved me, like I said, but, but that carried on into friendships at school. I remember in fourth grade, fourth, third, fourth, and fifth grade, how um, there was a popular TV show on about um, uh, two gay guys and two girls, and they lived in New York City. And um, for some reason, people, you know, kids our age were watching that show, and we would role model play that show at the playground, and they'd always pick me out to be the most flamboyant gay guy. And I hadn't even told anyone, or didn't even really have a concept of what was going on inside of me, but they, that's like socially what was going on, and a lot of the guys in my social circumstances also had a very large disconnect with them. Around the age of 10, my mom had a, and my mom and my dad had a um, custody battle between us, uh, between uh, them, so to, to get custody over my brother and I, and it turned out to be a really messy thing, and it emotionally wrecked me. Um, My dad and I had a very tumultuous relationship. He and I never really connected truly. Him and my brother did more, and so tension grew over time. My dad's relationship with his dad was incredibly broken, and that translated to our relationship. And so just this huge ugly thing was allowed to grow, and I remember being at, you know, older in age, you know, before I graduated high school, and I'm at the top of the stairs screaming and cussing at him, and he's at the bottom of the stairs. I'm gonna kick you out. You know, you're terrible, cussing at me, swearing at me, and we're both just angry and hurt not knowing how to deal with our feelings. That's all it was. We loved each other, but that brokenness was just taking over every area of our lives. From age 3 to age 21, my mother was married five times. In some ways, uh, our, us kids, five of us, we bonded during those times. And we, only two of us were from the same dad. So there was also that mixture. Every marriage almost had a different kid with it. Um, and so there, that dynamic was existing in the house. We as kids bonded really well when we were all together at my mom's house. But there was a lot of relational and emotional damage done during that time. Um, This is a little gruesome, but from age 6 until age 21, since that sexual door was opened and brokenness was everywhere and I didn't know how to deal with really anything and nobody knew how to walk me through that um, or even ask me about that, um, I was sexually involved with other boys. My own age. I began to seek out the viewing of pornography on a regular basis in 8th grade and from age 13 to 21, I did drugs and drank alcohol on a regular basis the thursday of our week long spring break in 8th grade was the first time i smoked pot and it was a family member who introduced it to me i began shutting down from my family because all that pain was there and what i was really doing and what i was what was going on in my secret life and in my internal life i kept it to myself And the drugs, the drinking, the isolation, I didn't know it at the time, but the very things that I was using as a coping mechanism were also the things that were killing me, emotionally and physically. So there comes a point, though, when all that pent-up pain and all that starts to define who you are. You can't see a difference between what I've experienced and who I am. And so at the age of 17, I decided it was time to officially let the world know who I really was. And I came out as gay, publicly. For the most part, I was accepted. And people really were encouraging. I think for some reason, the people who might bully or push back. um, It just was one of those things where, because it was so out there, I really didn't get a lot of that. Mostly what I got I was in the music and theater world at the high school, and so it was kind of a place where it was easy to celebrate the skill and the, and the talent and the person, um, but not know what to do with that one aspect. But a lot of people were very encouraging of it. My family though, different story. <laughs> they had a very hard time with this, especially my father. He took it personally. And I'm really grateful for all the people who did celebrate me and all the people who were there for me. But this is... This is really important. The child in me wishes, now that I'm, you know, 34, the child in me wishes that, at that throughout my whole life that people wouldn't have waited till I was in a certain spot to be kind. That they would have been there through me when I was going through the pain. And that they would have walked me through the pain. And helped me in that way. Um, And so although I appreciate the kindness and I could never like repay the kindness that was done for me by both people in the world, people in the church, people in my family, what I really wanted was to not be in pain. So music has always been a constant in my life throughout all these things going on. And uh, a really, really, really strong music program at my high school that I went to uh, had an amazing teacher. And she really is like a champion at the time was a champion of my life. And she was one of those who was there for me, but she helped me develop the skill and the tool of music and the, uh, the talent that I was given. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was actually I accidentally got into the music program. My sister kind of helped me pick out my classes one time, and she's like, well, I was always in choir, so you need to be in choir. So I kind of have her credit for getting me into music in the first place, and it turned out that the program was so good, and I dove into that fully that I actually went to school um, for music. I went for vocal music performance, uh, and I fell in love with composition, and I fell in love with piano. And uh, I went to a school in uh, Chicago, Illinois, called DePaul University. It's a conservatory of music. And so here's a picture of me in college I started out in Grand Rapids Community College uh, in Grand Rapids, and then I transferred over to DePaul. So this photo over here is one um, where I'm in an opera, and I'm one of the main characters there with one of my colleagues. Uh, And then in the center, that was in a, um, uh, what they call an after party, uh, from a theater production in downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, uh, And then this other photo was taken by my mom uh, when she visited me uh, in college. So I received a a near full-ride scholarship to go to uh, college for vocal music performance. And like I said, I just, it, it was everything. I felt like finally for the first time in my whole life, having such a rough upbringing and just no consistency or anything like that, that I finally had a place where I was, my dreams were coming true. And I was working very hard to make those dreams come true, but... It was when I was in college that everything really, truly started to fall apart. All that pain doesn't just go away, and even though I had some skills and some sort of work ethic, I really didn't have enough character to sustain myself in college. It's funny, I was on the Dean's list, and yet at the same time, I couldn't hold a job or pay my bills, and so everything fell apart. Just before everything fell apart, though, my mom came to visit me. And here's a picture of my mom. Uh, and I, she's so proud. She loves me so much. Uh, this is right out at the, the main entrance of the school of music at the school I went to. But uh, she, uh, side note, my mom actually passed away in uh, 2017. Uh, and you're going to hear all the wonderful things that she was able to do. Uh, and it's actually because of her that I'm here today able to tell you this story because of her prayer life. So um, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, but this, uh, this next picture... From the same visit is hilarious. So, uh, this is my sister, and this is my mom, and this is me in college. But you would think that, hey, mom's coming to visit his son. He's got a full ride, he's making something of himself. You know, I was the first one to go to college in my family, but her face kind of is like (laughs) very underwhelmed. And I think it's hilarious. Uh, The reason it's funny, though, is because the person who's taking the photo is my boyfriend. I think that's pretty funny. Um, I'm just saying. Uh, but it, the reason it's funny is because, like, it's like through gritted teeth, she's almost saying, "My boyfriend's taking my photo. I don't know how to smile for this, like, it's, you know And so it pointed out that even though she's uncomfortable and she I would say the word "peeved," you know, even though she's peeved, she was present. And that's really important for the role that she had in my life. It's important to know also that my mom, she eventually, at this time of my life, had been going to church for a few years and found an incredible amount of healing through pursuing Jesus, through attending the local church, through reading her Bible, through getting with other godly people. And she, um, it was there that she started to realize, I need to start praying for my kids. And it was on this visit to Chicago that opened her eyes to how desperate my situation truly was. And her prayers during this time shifted from this, like, God, help my son not to be gay, like, sort of pray the gay away, <laughs> to, um, Lord, I'm so desperate, I'm just asking you to move in his life. What, I, what I'm fruit of is not fruit of prayers where someone was saying to God, pray the gay away. That doesn't really work. But what does work is when you're so desperate for God to move, you actually pray more. It changes the way you pray. The Bible says that the uh, prayers of the righteous avails much. And so that's what my mom was doing. She was, the situation was becoming so desperate that she had no choice but to fully lean on God. And it was so powerful, the results of her prayer life. Even though her facial expression half-excitedly, you know, is showing, my son's boyfriend is taking my picture, her heart and her spirit were saying, I am here because I love him, and I want to see him walk towards Christ. She wasn't compromising her faith. She was living her faith out. The real reason she did not approve of my life was because she was one of the few people who truly understood all those things that I described, all those terrible things in my life. And she knew that the outward expression of my life was from inward pain. And so she she didn't pray against me, she prayed for me. It was at this time where my mom actually started having a bunch of people at her house. People from the church, people from, uh, you know, she would have them over and they would they would just pray for their kids, for the community, for the church, for the growth of the church. And it was there while she was in that kind of mode where she was becoming so desperate to see God move. She clearly saw how terrible my life was getting between drugs and the lack of finances and just the lifestyle that I was living. Um, she began to get in her prayer time and she began to hear God say a specific phrase. Here's a clip from social media circa 2010. <laughs> um, back in that day, Facebook was a little different of a ball game, if you know what I'm saying. So... She says, uh, so, like, what's it going on, dude? You not answering my texts, and it appears you are having a hard time? I swear she knew how to, like, had good grammar. Just in this case, it's not so much. Um, she goes, I love you. Remember who you are. It's that phrase, remember who you are. In the desperation of her prayer closet, praying for me, she began to hear God speak on my behalf. And the phrase he gave her was, remember who you are. And she would just say that to me, even on social media. She would say it to me in text messages. She'd say it to me when we talked on the phone. And I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I did know that it was the warmest, most loving thing I think I may have ever felt up until that time. And it was one of those things that actually began some conversations that we would have over time. She knew that even though I was confident on the outside, that really underneath, I didn't know who I was. I didn't really know that the value that I had. I really didn't know the value that I have with my mom. I didn't know the value I had with my family, and I did not know the value I was to God. I didn't know that God loved me. I knew, like, growing up in church that God said he did, but I didn't really know. Not in here. Not in my heart. While my mom was praying over me, she wasn't praying her fears for me. She wasn't praying her perception. She was praying. She was not praying how she had hoped things would turn out. Because my mom passed away in 2017, I don't have an exact scripture reference for this, but when we were talking after I moved home from college, she um, had a phrase that she would always pray a scripture. And so this is a paraphrased um, scripture here. It says, may he be found in the house of the Lord, singing the Lord's praises all the days of his life. And now I'm a worship leader at a church. And I think that is amazing. Right around the time that everything was falling apart, just after my mom came for that visit, um, I thought I had a great idea. I'm just going to move in with my boyfriend. (laughs) I can't go to school and live for my dreams, so I'm going to move with my boyfriend. By the way, when I say great idea, total sarcasm. Um, So I I wasn't engaged to him, but he's the person I thought I would marry at the time. And uh, on, a holi- on a trip home for the holidays, my mother invited me to our local church, and it was there. I, don't, I didn't even know why I was going, to be honest. I just felt a tug in my heart. My situation in life had gotten so desperate and so terrible. Um, I was living in the closet, the literal closet, of a drug dealer's apartment, and I uh, I basically was just allowed to do whatever I want and in doing whatever I want and living out this identity that I had created for myself based on my experiences, which was pain, I was so unfulfilled. I was so unfulfilled. And in that low and desperate place, I think something in me was reaching out for something real. And all my mom did was keep a good relationship with me and at the right time, prayerfully, she invited me to church and I went with her. And it was on that trip home, visiting church, that I accepted Jesus at our local church. Um, and uh, eventually I would retur- return to that church and uh, stay there for about 10 years, just healing with the Lord. But as I processed what happened at that visit home, I actually felt in my heart that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get closer to God. So I made another step. When I returned home, home to my apartment in Chicago. My boyfriend met me at the train station, and while I was there, I broke up with him, and I told him, you can't get mad at me, you have to get mad at God. I said, that's the reality of the situation. But I said that because I wanted him to fight the same fight that I had fought. I wanted him to wrestle and come to the same conclusion. The prayers were so effective in my life that before that moment happened, maybe a month before that, I... um. My, my boyfriend and I at the time, we, I led us both in a prayer of salvation to the Lord in, a, in just his bedroom. It's kind of strange, right? Imagine all those people out there right now where they really do know the truth. They really do want what's real, and they're reaching out. Maybe there's more people like me who in their private time, we don't see it, but they're crying out to God. It kind of changes the way we look at when we're around people who belong to the LGBTQIA plus community. After I broke up with my boyfriend at the time, I um, was all alone. It was the holidays. Everyone's gone, and I'm all alone, and I just start cleaning because I'm so frustrated. Like, Lord, what do you want from me? I don't know if you have any stress cleaners in here, but I am definitely a stress cleaner, and still to this day. And so I'm cleaning that, you know, everything frantically. No one's around. And I'm like, what do you want from me? You know, just crying out to God. And, you know, very emotionally, um, and I just all of a sudden, like a snap, it was like the room got super intensely hot. I could feel it on my skin and in my heart and in my mind and in my soul. And I just felt this intense heat. And then I saw a picture in my mind where I saw I was in the palm of God's hands. And I knew what God was trying to tell me. He's saying, "What I really want from you is to for you to let me hold you so you can be healed." and so I can be with you every day of your life. That's what I want you to do. Let me hold you." The loving relationship with my mother, the prayers of my family, they were like fresh water, the prayers of the church. They were, they were like fresh water, watering the godly seed that had been deposited in my heart when I was young, and it was it was starting to grow. It was right around then where, after taking a high dose of hallucinogens, I actually um, left. Uh, I I got kicked out of my apartment because someone that I was um, doing drugs with broke and vandalized the apartment while we were intoxicated, and in a flash, I had nowhere to live in Chicago. I would have been on the streets, but my, um, my friend had given me Uh, This is a sign of God's provision, totally. My friend had given me a key to their apartment for that week because they were leaving to go audition for grad school in another state. And because they gave me their key, I didn't have to go to the streets. I was able to stay in their apartment, and then the next day, my mom sent someone down to get me, and I moved home. And so for the first time, I was a millennial living in my mother's basement. (laughs) I started going to church regularly, um, and not even because I wanted to. I started to go to church because I loved it. Here's a picture of me um, after moving home during this time period. This is a transitional time period, and if you look at me today and you look at that picture, I don't think you just see somebody who's gotten a few years older. Only a few, okay? Uh, No, that was about 10 years ago, or 13 years ago that picture was. you see somebody whose countenance is entirely different. Even the, ex- the expressions that I made, the way that my mannerisms are, they completely changed because that was how deep God was getting into my heart and in my soul. It's, it's, he got down to the bedrock of who I was and began changing things from there. But there was still a problem. I wanted to live my old life, the life that God was pulling me away from, I was struggling between my new, new identity in Christ and my old self, and I still tried to do drugs. I still tried drinking. I still dated men and even had encounters with men of a sexual nature, and none of them felt the same. The Bible says that when we be, believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. At that moment, we become a new creation. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that so much. I was beginning to become consciously aware of the difference between my old self, the kingdom of darkness, and my new self in the kingdom of light. And I think it's important to hear that this is where a key to my story is. It's a shift of perspective, possibly for some. That God never punished me for not being holy like Him. It was when I saw the difference between who I am in Christ and who I am that I made myself to be, he didn't punish me. He, he allowed me to see the difference and what I concluded was the more that I love Jesus the less I want anything to do with that. Not changing my behavior, not trying to force myself to be a Christian, but just simply the more I love Jesus, the less I love sin. That's what repentance is. So my whole process from that point to today Has been to simply choose Jesus. I took a step further um, and I got baptized and publicly declared that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Here's a picture of that at the church I grew up in. Praise the Lord. Yes, amen. I grew through Christ-centered relationships at my local church. I found amazing friends in these people. We were hungry after church. And we wanted more. We were physically hungry, literally. And we were also hungry for more of God. So, hey, go out to eat with your friends after church. And we just opened our Bibles. Here's a picture of us gathering. We were an eclectic group. um, But this was kind of the core of who was there. We were there all the time. um, And as our spiritual hunger grew, this was at McDonald's, by the way. As our spiritual hunger grew, our clothes shrank. uh, Because we ate at McDonald's all the time. Okay, That was funnier during the first service, so I'm just going to leave that there. That's for there. Um, <laughs> uh, but God even redeemed the gift of music in my life. Uh, here's a picture of me leading worship um, as an intern at the church I grew up in, um, in Ionia, Michigan. It's actually called Restore Church. It's a Radiant Network church, um, which is how I got connected uh, to uh, Pastor Jerry in Ludington. Um, God's timing, though, is different than ours. I... Uh, waited 10 years from the point of being saved until being in the full-time ministry, and I am in my fifth year of full-time ministry. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, best of all, I know I've introduced her already, but I met the woman I joyfully now call my wife, Tiana Meek. Here's a picture of us on our wedding day, a couple of them. So sweet. I love you, honey. (laughs) And I'm sorry for everything so far, okay? There it is. I publicly said it. And then together, we followed God's voice into growing as a family, and now there are six of us. Here's a picture of our family. Beautiful, beautiful family. Thank you, Jesus. And then, uh, my life is the result of repentance from sin, from encountering the real and living God. The thing about repentance we have to remember, though, is that it's easy to get lost— it's easy to get stuck in what we have to change, but it's a lot more powerful to focus on where we're going. Repentance is leaving this behind to walk towards Jesus. It's important to remember Jesus is the focus. So who I am and how I identify today as a son of God, as a man of God, married to my beautiful wife, building a family, serving God's kingdom. This is not a result of behavior modification of any kind or any variation, I have never told God or a person, a pastor, a counselor, or even my wife, or even a close private friend. I've never once said to them, I'm gay and I want to be straight. I have only ever made steps towards Jesus through repentance. And my story, the highlight of my life, Yes, I praise the Lord that this amazing thing happened. But the best thing in my life, and I bet in yours, is going to be when we see Jesus face to face, not the sin that we left. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you guys for listening to my story. I did a little better on time this service, Pastor Marco, but I uh, want to invite you up. I think we have a few questions we to go through here together. And thank you, guys.
0: All right, man, Nate, what an incredible story. I know we're going to go a few minutes early. Ushers, if you want to let Pastor Sarah know, that'd be amazing as well. Um, So just a few questions. We'll wrap this up in about maybe five or six minutes here, Nate. What would you say to the person who has heard your testimony, but now they're offended because you mentioned that really that uh, they discovered that God uh, wants them to honor him with their sexuality, So now they're offended at that because they said, well, I thought God loved me. What do I do now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's such a huge question. I had to give myself notes on that one in particular because it's, you know, there's probably a lot of gray area in that one uh, in in a good way. That's maybe one of the hot topic things right now. A lot of people feel that way. You have churches out there affirming people, uh, saying like, hey, you can continue in sin and still, that means you're still following Jesus, but... That is absolutely the opposite of what the Bible says, and repentance is required, you know? So I would say um, that first, I would say, can we connect? You just heard my story. I would love to hear your story. Yeah. I, you have a, you've been through real things, and you've come to real conclusions based on those things. Yeah. I want to know about that. My story mm. is not a story against you. My story is a story for you to see Jesus, to see what he yeah. does, yeah. And, and so, um, you know, the church that I grew up in, they, they never condemned me for where I was at. They just simply loved me where I was, and so if, if, you, if you feel offended by what I would say, I would just say try to enter into relationship with people. Don't shut yourself down and close yourself off, because what you're going to find is eventually you're going to be all alone. Yeah. And, and even though it's messy, you know, I can't answer your question about why you're offended without really knowing your story. Yeah. But I really mean it. I would personally love to hear your story. And I actually know for a fact you would, too, as the pastor of this house. You would love to sit down with people Yeah. and, and, and not just be a pastor on a stage, but actually right. get connected
0: with people. So yeah. I hope That's I good. answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you mentioned your father, and I couldn't help but thinking um, you, there was that point in your story I think he's upstairs, you're downstairs, you're screaming at each other. There's swear words, there's anger. You talked about brokenness in the both of you that you did not know how to respond to, of course. You were simply reacting out of your brokenness. Um, So there's a lot of anger there, frustration, dysfunction, of course. Um, I just couldn't help think of the role of a father, Um, how vital that is. Um, We live in a fatherless generation right now, church or there's disconnection between the father and the family spiritually relationally I don't know Nate can you just speak into that cuz i just feel like there's something there maybe you can encourage maybe encourage our father our christian fathers our christian dads who are here who are watching online encourage them right now the role of a father i mean we got fathers day coming up in a few weeks just speaking to that for just 30 40 seconds no pressure I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, the, uh,
1: if I'm speaking to Christian dads, um, as a father I know how hard it is. I know how hard being a father can be and more than anything I just want you to know uh, you're not alone and what you have to do truly is difficult outside of all the things that culture and anyone throws at you that's not helpful. The hope and the encouragement that I would speak to you is that um, your family is your first ministry, and not, in a, not, as a, not as a way of making you feel bad, but as a way of pointing to what's right and what's true. Is before, aside from God, your family is your first ministry, and it is God's given you that as a gift. And I hope that's how you see it. And if you, if you want to see your family as a gift and you don't currently, this doesn't sound like encouragement at all. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but if, if you want to see your family as a gift, I believe that God wants to help you get there today. All you have to do is ask him. And there's, a, there's so much life for you to give. For those of you who maybe it's going really, really well and you're sticking to it and you're a Christian father and you're going with it, I want to say, like, hey, there are a lot of other fathers out there who need you. And you, you might be that hope that they need. And so don't, don't ignore cries for help, but be relational. Don't, don't stick to your own world. Don't stick to your, the thing that it's so easy to cling to, whatever your distraction is. You know, guys, we need downtime. We need our, you know, like our <laughs> moment. But look for other men, godly men, to pour into. So I, I think that's kind of the hurting dads and then the ones that maybe they've been doing well for a while now.
0: Well, we'll wrap things up here in a moment. Um, one last question here. Uh, maybe you can encourage parents, um, teenagers, college-age kids. They're identifying now as LGBTQIA+. Heartbroken. I've talked to them here at our church. Others have talked to them. Questions. There's lots of pain. Um, I, I want to mention something that you said that stuck out to me, peeved but present. <laughs> um, I think that was powerful. I've, I read the book, uh, Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. She mentions, I think it was her cousin was a born-again believer and, uh, and did not affirm her, but there was a relationship there. And uh, because of that, she was able, to, when she had questions about God, she would go to her and her cousin would say, I'm praying for you, Jackie, and I thought that was powerful, but speaking of that, how, do, how can you just encourage parents as we get ready to close our service here?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, by and large, there's probably one thing I've noticed in my experiences talking with people who have been like looked for guidance or looked for help. You know, one of the main common themes in regards to the question is people just feel they'll feel overwhelmed because it seems like we're powerless. But I think that in line with the peeved but present convert like type of conversation, if I can draw my mom lived a biblical example of what this looks like, and so I, I can draw from her ex- what she did a little bit. Because she found, because she pursued the Lord, she, she was able to give her fears, her trepidation, her everything to Him. And then when she was around the people that need, she, want, she knew God wanted to reach, regardless of who that was, but specifically in my case, she was able to not bring that fear and that overwhelmed into the relationship, that relationship was able to just be a relationship. And then eventually, you know, it, it turned into something beautiful. There were opportunities to speak into things. And I came to her asking questions at a certain point. There was a point where she had given me a book called Victory Over the Darkness. I forget the author, but probably some of you may know that one. Yeah. yeah. Do you know the author of that one? Yeah, I know. I can't remember. it, But like, she's like, you can't move out of the house unless you read this book. Well, I never read it, but I kept it. And when I was in college, I was, all my friends were partying and drinking and there were nights where I would abstain and I would read through this Victory Over the Darkness wow. um, Bible study by myself in a closet, inches away from people tripping on acid and mushrooms and all this kind of stuff. And so I would say that because there was a relationship there, I was able to retain the seeds that were planted over time you know it wasn't there's this metaphor where if you have an engine and there's oil in the engine things run smoothly but when there's no oil it's just metal clashing against metal and it's really terrible well that's an it's also a picture of relationship if if the only thing you ever talk about is the hard stuff then all you're going to feel is the hard stuff but if you deal with the hard stuff with the lord and then you go to that person, you can go to them being able to fully be there for them, whatever they need. Um, It doesn't mean they walk over you, it doesn't mean you affirm them, it doesn't mean any of that, but whatever the unique need for that specific relationship is, because every relationship is different. There's no blanket solution for anybody. That 100% yields godly fruit when you do it that way.
0: Being fully present with Jesus and then being fully present with the person who needs that ministry and that relationship door needs to be open. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, can we clap our hands for Nate Meek this morning? Hey, Nate, would you just uh, say a few closing comments and then let's pray us out and then we'll we'll dismiss.
1: Um, as I was preparing for this, um, again, thank you, Pastor Marco. Thank you for having me out. It,
0: yeah, it's good to have you here, man.
1: Thank you. It's It's incredible to walk through such a journey, and what I wish I had when I was young, is I wish I had someone kind of, even though they were godly people all around me that really loved me and they pointed me in the right direction, I wish I just, what I always prayed for was someone to show me, it's like shed some light on the specific thing. I didn't need them to live salvation for me and give me a roadmap. map. I didn't need that, just a little bit of hope. It's possible. And I just, I feel like God said to me once, like, hey, you didn't have that, but you're going to be that. You're going to be able to be that to help people be encouraged. And so in this service, if there's something that has touched your heart, I want to open up the possibility that maybe it's not just about this topic of uh, homosexuality or identity. Maybe there's something in your life that my story resounds with you. I just want to pray for all of us Um that is an opportunity to get right with the Lord no matter where your walk is no matter if you're just beginning if you're far away or if you've been walking with the Lord for a very long time now is the time the Bible says if today if you hear my voice do not harden your heart I want to submit to you that it's the voice of God tugging on your heart and I also want to pray for hope and encouragement so dear Lord your presence is so beautiful I love you, Lord. Thank you for being here in this time, in this space right now. What I pray that our eyes would be open to what repentance really is. It's not simply looking at what's wrong. Repentance comes from seeing you and shunning everything that's not a part of walking with you. It's about turning away from that, whatever that is. If we take it away Lord, we don't even need to label it anything other than sin. Whatever sin is in our life, God, whatever sin is present. God, we turn away from it right now and we say Jesus Christ, I love you and you alone. Yes, I'm sorry for all the things. I'm sorry for all the things, God. All the all the trouble, all the trial, all the struggles I've had, the times I've not turned to you and I've turned to the internet, the times I haven't turned to you And I've even looked to another person to validate me or whatever it may be. For that time when I was eight that I stole gum that I haven't repented for yet. I don't know. Lord, I just help us right now. We turn from those things and we turn to you today and we receive your grace and your fresh mercy right now. The focus is you. It's not what we're leaving behind. The focus is on you, Jesus. And also, God, I pray for hope and encouragement. That the seed that was planted today, Lord, that it would just grow into a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful beautiful garden that you tend in the lives of all of us, of Base City, of Midland, and the surrounding areas, God, that this would be known as a place, God, that this would be known as the place right now, today, and forevermore, where Jesus Christ is Lord. The type of sin that people come from, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. God, your presence is so thick and so sweet in this place. Help us to stay in this every day. Help hope and encouragement to be our constant guide as we pursue you, Lord. Lord, I thank you. And right now I pray for that one, two, three, four, five, or 20 people, no matter how it is, how many it is, I pray for them that if there are question questions unanswered or there is tension with what's been said or uh, if there's just on something completely unrelated, but there's tension, God, that today, that they would not leave here without knowing that your constant and, and powerful and mighty hand is on them and you, you want them to know the truth and not be labored and not be burdened. Help them to find the answers that they need from you, God. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Radiant Church in Bay City. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.